Adding the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. At participating Wendy's for a limited time, meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii. Hello again, everyone. I'm Joe Longinusa, welcoming you to another edition of Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, the show where industry leaders, golf professionals, and legends all come and discuss the great game we love so much. So without further ado, let's turn it over to our host to tell us who's next on the tee. Chris, take it away. Hey, thank you, Joe. Good morning, everybody, and thank you for coming back and joining me today on Next on the T. I I am your host, Chris Mascaro, and for the second week in a row, folks, I get to share with you two of my all-time favorite guests. This week, I'm going to get things started with the PGA Tour Pro and Sirius XM PGA Tour radio broadcaster, Paul Stankowski. For our listeners on the Armed Forces Radio Network, uh, today we'll delve a little more into Paul's military connections through his tournament play and a, and a naval base uh, golf course that he and Corey Pavin both uh, frequented. We'll talk about that, plus I'll get Paul's perspective on what he saw this year out on tour and, and what it's been like for him on the other side of the microphone now. And, you know, kind of one of plus, you know, we'll find out what's gone wrong with Paul's fantasy football team. Paul joined me on the uh, on the football side on our show Thursday Night Tailgate, and he's a part of our Thursday Night Tailgate Fantasy Football League. Team sits at one and six, so we, uh, we'll find out what's, uh, what's gone wrong and what he intends to do to fix and get back in the mix and, uh, and so much more. Paul's going to join me here in just a few moments. Following him, 2003 PGA champion Sean McKeel going to be back with me to answer more of your questions. You know, Sean is, you know, almost a, a become a regular, uh, a weekly regular guest with me now on the show, which I am very thankful for. And if you've got any questions that you'd like Sean to answer on a future episode, please go to our Next on the T with Chris Mascaro Facebook page and uh, comment, send us your questions. That way you can go on Twitter and send it to me. I am at CT Mascaro. You can send me your questions there as well. It's interesting. Last week, I asked Sean if he's ever had to deal with negative comments from people now over over social media. And then two days later, boom, someone in the media put a negative comment out there, which uh, surprised and disappointed me, quite frankly. And for someone who who doesn't know him or ever interviewed him, I was surprised by the comments. We'll talk briefly about that and then we'll move on to more positive things when Sean joins me about 20 minutes from now. So it's going to be another great show today. I'm so glad that you're here to take the journey with me over the next hour or so. Next on the T is brought to you by our friends over at Seymour Putters. Let's get things rolling by hearing a word about them. Golfers, has this happened to you? Great drive. Perfect second shot on the green. Only the three or even four putts. Shaking your head all the way back to the cart. I have good news. Help is on the way with the Seymour Putter. The Seymour Putter Company patented RST technology sets up the putter perfectly every time using a visible gun sight on the top line. Genius! It's like locking radar onto the target, in this case, the golf hole, putting the golfer in perfect position to make a reliable and consistent stroke. The 1999 U.S. Open, 
2007 Masters and 2015 British Open champions all used, you guessed it, the Seymour Putter. So if you're ready to make more putts, take strokes off your game, log on to Seymour.com. That's S-E-E-M-O-R-E.com and put a Seymour Putter in your bag today. Yeah, like Joe said, check out their rifle scope technology that's helped win now three majors in 36 tour events and counting because this year's men's British Open champion was using a Seymour putter. And it's going to help you make more putts. I know it's helping me. Please go check them out online at Seymour. That's S-E-E-M-O-R-E.com and get one in your bag. You're going to be very glad you did. We are also sponsored by the French Lick Resort up in French Lick, Indiana. Folks, you want to talk about a spectacular resort to both play golf and just relax and enjoy yourself. Well, there isn't a better place anywhere on the planet than the French Lick Resort. Go to FrenchLick.com and you can see it right there for yourself. I had the privilege of taking my family there earlier this year in June, and we're already looking forward to going back as quickly as we possibly can. The resort it's historic. It's beautiful. They've got some wonderful gardens out back behind the resort and a huge relaxing rocking chair porch on the front. And the golf, my friends, oh my goodness, the golf. The Pete Dye course is kept in championship condition year round, and they could be ready to host a major at a moment's notice. They've hosted the Senior PGA Championship this year and the LPGA Legends Championship just a couple of months ago. So if you've always wondered what it would be like to play in a major, well, you can do it there at the Pete Dye course. They also have the Donald Ross design course, which is fantastic. It's the site of Walter Hagen's PGA Championship victory back in 1924. And they've also got the Valley Links course there on the property that dates back to 1907. So the French Lick Resort needs to be on your list of places to stay and play. And oh, by the way, my friends, they've got a casino right there on the property as well. For more information and to book your stay, go to FrenchLick.com. Also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Allen Edmonds, maker of quality made in the USA shoes, the shoes of great leaders from the Oval Office to corner offices, to stage and screen and promising cubicles all around the country are part of what make people successful. The right footwear is important on the carpets and the hardwood floors of our global economy. Get it right with made in the USA quality and value from Allen Edmonds. Allen Edmonds is an American original. They've been making shoes right here in the U.S. in Wisconsin since 1922. Go online and check them out at allenedmonds.com. All right, let's kick things off like we do every single week here on Next on the T, and that's by saluting the brave men and women serving in our military. We want to thank all of you for your daily sacrifices and what you've done to keep the rest of us safe. We also want to thank our veterans for all you've done for us over the years. We truly appreciate everything our military personnel do to preserve our freedoms and our liberties. It is through your strength and your efforts that our way of life continues to be possible. Our sincere thanks as well to Sean Cruz and all the wonderful folks at the Armed Forces Radio Network. It's an honor for us to have Next on the T be a part of your network. You can find our show by going to armedforcesradionetwork.org. I also want to remind our veterans, be sure to check out globalvoiceforveterans.org, a wonderful site with news and articles and a wealth of information specifically geared towards our veterans that I'm sure you're going to find both interesting and beneficial. Again, globalvoiceforveterans.org. Check it out. You're going to be glad you did. All right. Now back with me on the Seymour Putters guest line, like I say, is one of my favorite all-time guests here on Next on the Team. That's PGA Tour Pro Paul Stankowski. Let me remind you a little bit about Paul's background. He's from Oxnard, California. He started playing golf at the age of eight. 
He attended the University of Texas, El Paso, where he was a three-time All-American and won the Western Athletic Conference Championship back in 1990. Turned pro in 91. His first pro victory came on what's now the Web.com Tour at the 1996 Nike Louisiana Open. He backed that up by winning the very next week on the PGA Tour at the Bell South Classic, becoming the only golfer in history to win on the what's now, like I say, the Web.com Tour and the PGA Tour in back-to-back weeks. In all, Paul has seven professional victories and 31 top 10 finishes, and it's always a great time when I get the opportunity to have him with me next on the tee. Good morning, Paul. Thanks for joining me this morning, my friend. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me on. How you doing? Uh, fantastic. Thank you. So, Paul, before we get into all the golf, one and six, my friend, in the Fantasy Football League. But I give you credit now. You're still out there making a ton of moves over the last few weeks. So what's gone wrong and what's the strategy the rest of the season? Well, what's gone wrong is it's a conspiracy. You guys have set this thing up, obviously, because there's no chance I could be one in six. But, uh, uh, you know, it's the last minute call, hey, join our league. And then it's just screwy rules. And I don't – it seems like in our league you have to either – the only two important positions are defense and kicker. Um, it's, I, I've never seen a, a league where if a guy kicks a 50-yarder, he gets six points. But if he misses, he loses two points. So – I've got kickers that are trying 50 yarders and missing them. And I'm playing guys who are making 50 yarders and their defenses score 26 points. This is ridiculous, but, but, but I'd say there's hope, but I'm one in six. So there's not enough time to, uh, to catch up. So I, but I did, I dumped half my team. I just trashed them because I have, I have trash, um, foster (laughs) hurt, uh, my quarterback. I don't understand. This is the thing about football that makes me mad is the Atlanta Falcons should not be doing as well as they are because Matt Ryan is a horrible fantasy quarterback, horrible in our league. And uh, so that's, that's been my deal, you know, pick an eighth, put me behind the eight ball early and, and uh, uh, Roethlisberger going down, killed uh, Brown. And so I'm, my team stinks and that's what the name should be. In fact, it was for a week and I changed it to coach of the year to try to, get the mojo back on my side and, and one, and then I lost it and now it's over. So next year uh, I'm going to get you guys. <laughs> now yeah, the kicker's high risk, high reward, right? High risk, high reward on the 50 yarders. You either get a, a bonus or, or you get a little pain with that. But l- l- let me share this with you, Paul. Last year I started out 0 and 6 and then ran off eight straight wins and still made the playoffs. So there's still hope, my friend. Okay, well, there's hope. Uh, yeah, there's hope. Um, we're, <laughs> we'll, do, we'll figure something out. This is awful. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's move on. Uh, I, I wanted to get your thoughts. Your son Josh has really taken to the game of golf. I saw broke 80 for the first time a little over a month ago. Talk about his game and how you're enjoying watching him progress. Yeah, he is. He's getting better. And, and Josh, you know, he, when he was born, like really at 18 months when he could just stand up, he had a great golf swing and uh, had a really, really good golf swing. It was, we used to hit balls when he was in diapers in the backyard and he'd hit the whipple balls, but he was, he had a great swing. It was technically sound. I'm thinking this kid's going to be a prodigy. And then, and then he started playing baseball and uh, for any of those listeners whose sons played golf and then baseball, they realized that obviously it looks like a similar swing, but not so much. Um, and that kind of messed up the swing a little bit. Uh, but he righted the ship, and and then that thing called puberty kicked in, and and he grew, <laughs> he grew, you know, nine inches in the last eighteen months. And and uh, so there's some 
you know, gangly awkwardness going on there a little bit because he's 5'10 and 115 pounds. And, um, but, you know, all that to be said, he's, he's learning the game. Uh, he's playing better. He broke 80. Um, and things are starting to come together for him, and, and he loves it, though. And, um, he's, you know, he's got a passion for, for playing the game, which is really cool. It's fun for me to see, and, and uh, it's been fun to watch. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and, and Paul, for, for our listeners here on the Armed Forces Radio Network, you know, you've talked in the past, you know, your father's a veteran and you've participated in several military related events like the Warrior Open earlier this year. Talk about, you know, the role of the military and what it has played, you know, so far in your life. Yeah, well, I, I grew up, uh, my dad's retired Air Force and he retired the year before I was born. I think I was a retirement baby. Um, but I have an older brother and four older sisters and, and they got to endure the, uh, the military family lifestyle. And, you know, I born in France, my brother was born in France and sister in Bermuda and they were all over. So, um, but, uh, I didn't have to endure that. My, my dad retired and, and moved to Southern California, uh, where his brother, who was also a 20 plus year vet of the air force, he, uh, uh, they retired into Oxnard and, and my dad bought a house right across the street from, um, the Naval construction battalion, uh, in, uh, base in, Port Wayne, California. And so I could see the golf course. I was three houses off of um, Ventura Road, and, and Ventura Road is the road, the divider between uh, the, the base and, and uh, Oxnard. And so anyway, I got to see it, the fifth tee box is right there. And um, I grew up on that golf course. I grew up playing it. Uh, I grew up playing with um, a lot of retired uh, military men. Um, and so, you know, I learned my yes, sirs and no, sirs and yes, ma'am and no, ma'am, uh, really from uh, these, these you know, older retired guys that, you know, I had to, I, and my father. And so I had to, to speak and act a certain way. And there was, a, you know, uh, learning the, uh, the game of golf, but also learning the etiquette of the game of golf. And then just, you know, that type of thing. And, um, so I've always, I've always been around the military, even though my, like I say, my father was retired before I was born. Um, but, uh, living there, living on uh, across the base, you know, I heard, um, the, the trumpeter play, uh, in the morning and, um, and at night. And it was, uh, it was a cool deal. And, you know, the golf course, you know, that, uh, I, I believe you're referring to a pretty nice golf course, by the way, CB golf club, uh, which is actually on a naval base there. And uh, as I was, you know, researching more and more into into your background, you and Corey Pavin, I played, I read that you guys played a lot of golf there. So if, if you don't mind, you know, share your memories of playing on that golf course. Yeah, you know, I, I it's funny, I never saw Corey out there, but he Corey's ten years older than I am, and uh, the my high school, I went to Wyoming High School, and that uh, that was our home course, was the the Navy base, and and. Uh, so Corey played at Oxnard High School, so I'm sure in high school he played matches against Wyoming, uh and uh, played there on the base. And uh, but I never saw him out there. Like I said, ten years younger. And um, but uh, that's where I learned. I, my my first round of golf was in 1978. My dad uh, took me out to to watch him and my brother play. Um, and uh, little did I know that he was going to uh, he had a he had a set of clubs in the back of the station wagon for me. And, and I went out, I was eight years old and I shot 147, um, that, that first day. And, and, uh, and I was hooked and, yeah. and I spent every day in the summertime. As soon as summer broke, I was at the golf course in the morning and mom would pick me up, uh, in the evening. And, um, I played with, uh, I had a few really close friends that I played with all the time. Uh, and, 
Uh, one of them was my next door neighbor, Dana Dorman. Or at the time, she was Dana Laughlin, and um, but she lived right next door from the time I was born until the time she went off to college. And uh, she ended up going to San Jose State. She had a scholarship, full ride to UCLA and San Jose State. UCLA for volleyball, San Jose State for golf, and, and she chose golf and ended up going to the LPGA Tour. And she won twice out there and played for ten years. And uh, so it was kind of cool. So we had a, a neat little. Uh, group of, of folks uh to play with and um it was it was a, a a good spot but jim ford was the old head pro there jim and ruthie ford and they had great junior lessons and just a he had a heart for junior golfers and um you know in the summertime he would line us up and teach us the the basics the fundamentals of the game the grip posture stance um and uh, encouraged us to practice and uh, it was it was a really cool upbringing there and and uh and I'm grateful for that little that little golf course that used to be nine holes when I was a kid, and and uh, the commander of the base, um, Fred Kelly, um, he was the course record holder. He shot I think it was 61 wow. or 63 there, and uh, so you knew all the excess funds <laughs> were being piped into the golf course. And <laughs> it was uh, it was really cool. But uh, Mr. Kelly uh, was a, a good man, and and uh, he had a couple sons that played as well, Donald and Dave. And, um, and it was a it was a really good uh, good place to grow up, and um, and then the new commander came in, and uh, uh, Captain Kelly went off to become a commodore, and I think moved to D.C. and and the new guy came in, and loved tennis, and so they uh, they built a tennis facility and built nine more holes on the golf course and turned it into a factory and and a little different little different place now than it was. It was really a small little gentle gym. Uh, and now it's a, it's a fun track, but it's 18 holes and which is good because obviously more revenue and things nowadays, right. you gotta make money, but, um, but it was a cool place to grow up and, you know, used to pick the range by hand, you know, uh, with, uh, you know, a, a shag bag in each hand. And we did that so we can hit free range balls. And, and, uh, it, it was, it was a lot of fun. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Paul, I want to revisit, um, one of your best finishes, you know, on tour, uh, outside of some of the victories you had and best finish in a major when you finished tied for fifth at the masters in 1997. And if it wasn't for some kid named Tiger Woods who left the field that year, it might've been a heck of a finish uh, in the final round between you and Tom Kite, Tom Watson, Fred couples, Colin Montgomery, Constantine Roca. You guys were all within a couple of strokes, uh, you know, uh, going into Sunday was, was there a sense that, you know, it, it was still a golf tournament and, and, you know, everyone pressing hard for at least the amount of prize money that was still on the line in a top five or top 10 finish in a major, or was it different because he's nine strokes ahead and we're just going to sort of, you know, get through this round. You know? Yeah, that was uh it was a weird, weird feeling there. And, um, you know, it was a major championship. So everybody knew that anything's possible. You know, there's been huge leads uh, given away, on Sunday of a major, especially at the masters and, and, uh, and all that, you know, but I, I, I think that, you know, we, I got to watch tiger. He played right bef- uh, behind me the first round. And he, when he shot 40, the first day, I remember walking down 10 and, and seeing his uh, sign on nine and that he was four over par. And, and I kind of giggled a little bit. It's a nice play in there, son. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, um, and then he shot, I think he shot 30 on the back nine. And, and, uh, so you got to realize that he won that he shot 18 or par shooting four over pars front nine on, on Thursday. Um, that was pretty crazy, uh, how good he played. But I, I remember telling somebody in the media 
um, Saturday night, um, they asked about the tournament. They said, you know, what do you think? You know, <laughs> did anybody have a chance? And I said, well, if somebody can go off early and make five or six birdies, like in the first two or three holes, <laughs> they'd have a chance. And uh, that was that was pretty much summed it up. There was no chance. And um, he was he was so good. I played right right in front of him again on Sunday. Um, I actually had a chance to to be to pair with him on Sunday, and I missed about a ten footer on eighteen Saturday afternoon. And Roca, who was uh, a couple groups behind me, he made about a twenty footer uh, on eighteen, and and he got to play with him. But I got to play with Tom Kite, and, and uh, it was it was cool. I mean, what a uh, to, to witness history, um, the way he just dissected that golf course with his length um, and his putter uh, was phenomenal. The next year you came back and you finished tied for, for 39th. Mark O'Meara won in, in 98. But for but I'm curious, for all the incredible incredible accomplishments that Jack Nicklaus had over the course of his career, and even though he didn't win in 98, at age 58, he finished tied for six, two strokes ahead of Tiger Woods. And you were tied for second after the first round. And if it wasn't for a bad second round, you probably would have been right back in the mix there again as well on, on Sunday. What do you remember about the 98 tournament? Um, I, I remember getting off to a fast start. Um, I believe that was the year. I think that was the year that uh, John Houston hold it from on last hole on 18 for Eagle mm, from number right. 10. And, uh, and so it, it would have been nice to have had the low round the first day, but I didn't, um, I was, but I was second. I played with Freddie couples and Jose Maria Olazabal, uh, on, on Friday. And I mean, you know, I'm still a young player at that time. And Freddie was my hero. I got to play with him when I won Atlanta in 96, I played with him on Sunday. So what a dream to play with, you know, yeah. a, a hero, a hero, you know, an idol, if you will, sports idol, um, and uh and then to win and so anyway i got we got te- we teed it up there and i remember playing poorly um probably still mesmerized that i was playing with these two uh legends of the game and um and but i remember on 18 uh i was on the right fringe had about a 25 foot putt and i made it for birdie and um i was so i was just so mad i just wanted to get off the golf course and i mean it's so funny i'm, I'm at augusta and i'm mad i mean are you kidding me what a knucklehead but <laughs> Um, I remember getting into the scores tent and Fred, as soon as he sat down, Freddie said to our, the, the, the official in the, in the tent, he said, Hey, what's the cut? And they said what it was going to be. And he looked at me, he slapped me in the arm. He goes, nice putt. You made the cut, you know? And I was like, yeah, whatever. But I just, I was so <laughs> sour grapes because I didn't play well. And, and it's so funny how, you know, we can get so caught up into results uh, in, in our life. And, and, and there I was in, at the, you know, the the place of all places here on earth, you know, Augusta national. And, and I'm sour grapes, you know, upset because I didn't play like I wanted to, but so I remember that vividly as well. Um, and then I remember the roars and the roars of Jack Nicholas. And uh, as he was uh, making his way on that golf course and playing well, it's different, you know, it's so different. Those roars, it was, I'm, I'm so honored to have been able to hear some of those rowers during my career, not many, because he was obviously um, on the, the last couple holes of his career uh, as I was starting mine. But um, but get, getting to hear the Jack Nicholas roars at, at Augusta National was pretty darn cool. 
Yeah, I, I can't imagine that it, that it wouldn't be. What, what you know, and and for you, the opportunity to get out there and, and to be there, like you say, of all places at Augusta National. I'm curious, Paul. You know, for the for the amount of time that that you spent out there and the crowds that are there, you know, patrons, as 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 they refer to them. You know, what what was it like for you? For, first time you tee it up at Augusta National, you earn your way in there, right, at, at, with the Bell South Classic and, and and all of that, and you and you go there as a as a young kid. To your point. What's it like teeing it up there at the first hole at Augusta National for the first time? You know, I, I believe it all happened so fast, Chris, uh, for me, because I just won the week before uh, in Atlanta. Uh, my right. career two weeks before, really uh, two and a half weeks before Augusta, the, the, the 96 Masters, I, I had made one cut on the PGA Tour, and it was it was the week that week. I just made my first cut in New Orleans. and I went down and played the Nike Tour event in Lafayette the week of the Players Championship, and and somehow, some way, uh, all the work that I'd put in and everything came together, and and uh, by the grace of God, I won a I won a tournament <laughs> on the Nike Tour, and and then I I'm in, I'm an alternate, and I I get in Atlanta and I win, and and uh, the next day I'm driving down Magnolia Lane uh, with a severe kink in my left in my neck, and I couldn't look to my left, so I woke up. <laughs> Is that right? Neck. Uh, yeah, and so, but to go, so here I am, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I can't even play, I, I can't even play practice rounds, I just walked the golf course because I couldn't, I couldn't swing, um, and uh, so come Thursday, I'm paired with Scott Hoke, and, and yeah, I'm super nervous, my dad is there, um, I finally got my stamp of approval from my father um, on the, in, in, uh, during the practice round, if you will, I was putting on number 14, um, and, you know, I looked over, I saw my pops in the crowd and, and, uh, it's amazing how many people are out there on, on practice round days, but, and, uh, I just said, Hey, pretty cool. Hey pops. And he gave me a thumbs up and he didn't, didn't have words for it. So for me, that was as a son, it was the, the, the moment, you know, that I had. And, and so I was thrilled beyond thrilled that one, I was at Augusta and two that, you know, I made my dad proud. Um, but the, uh, Come Thursday, I'm I'm nervous as can be, and and you know I go out and play, and I shot I forget seventy, I don't know what I shot now. I was not good, um, but uh, I ended up missing the cut that year. But I, I I think you know my success happened so fast, Chris, that that I didn't have time to process it, and um, and I played really good for a couple years, um, and there again it all happened so fast that I, I didn't I wasn't prepared uh, for it. You know it it just there I was. I didn't have any time to think and savor it. I just was, every week was a new week. And, and I, you know, that first year I won four times around the world. Um, one Nike, two, uh, one PGA tour, one, uh, unofficial tour event in Hawaii and then on the Japan tour. And, and, uh, you know, it wasn't a great year as a whole. Uh, I mean, it was on paper, but I, I missed half my cuts, but, um, but I played well when I got in, uh, when I was playing well, but the, um, well, that was Yogi Berra, wasn't it? I played well when I was playing well. Um, so the, uh, but just the, the whirlwind there, um, how it all happened so fast. I, you know, I, I'd love to go back for one year just to uh, like back to 97 and, and just enjoy it a little bit more, you know, I mean, it was fun playing well and, and, um, but I didn't, you know, I won Hawaiian. Here's a, here's a true story. I won the Hawaiian open. It's the United airlines, Hawaiian open. And they give me a gold pass. Okay, this shows how stupid I was and young and immature and, and clueless. But they gave me a gold pass on United Airlines. Okay, I got to fly me and my immediate family, my wife and kids. At the time, I didn't have any kids. So me and my wife, 
anywhere in the world, anytime I wanted, first class for a whole year. And wow. You know how many times I you know how many times I used it? How One many? time. I, oh, I flew to my. Chicago. I flew to Chicago. Chicago? I lived in Dallas and and we have we have, you know, American Airlines. And so I I flew American yeah. all the time and, and you know, it was not easy to fly out of Dallas on, on United. I had to go through Chicago or Denver, I think. Um, but I could have taken my wife to dinner in Italy for first class. I could have walked up to the counter and said, hey, I need two tickets to, you know, and they, it would have been first class. Like, boom, there you go for, for free. Right. <laughs> I didn't use it. So that just shows <laughs> that the brain that, that I had in my head, it just wasn't, it wasn't processing things right. I just was. It was it was like I was floating on the wind. I didn't even. So anyway, I there are some things I wish I had back, but uh, but I I loved it. It was you know the Masters was amazing. You know just the fact that you know I, I got to play for as long as I did and got to actually win a couple times. Um, yeah. Really cool. And then now, like you said, you know you mentioned in in, in the queue that you know getting to 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 play in the Warrior Open. You know President Bush's event here in Dallas that right. he does every year for. Uh, our soldiers and and I that that's a thrill you know I going right back to my childhood I remember driving to the golf course on my bike um, with my clubs in the back and I'd go by the big quad on the on the Navy base and and they had all the soldiers or the CBs in white uh, lined up you know in uh, I guess in a row I, I forget I don't even know what you call it but um, they were and they were just standing there you know doing their thing standing in attention and you know, it's not hot in California, but it, it does get hot on the blacktop at 75 degrees with some hum- humidity and whatnot. And those guys had to stand there. I mean, it's a it's a different life, you know, and, and I'm thankful for the freedoms that we have uh, in America um, as Americans and, and that we're given by those who serve, you know, and that can continue to serve. And um, it's pretty neat. So, I, you know, like I say, thankful for, for you know, what God allowed in my life, uh, allowing me to play a, a, a really cool game. Uh, and shutting me down in time that I get to watch my kids and and be a just a normal dad um, and husband. It's pretty cool. That is. I'm talking with PGA Tour Pro and member of the Sirius XM PGA Tour Channel Broadcasting Team, Paul Stankowski. And Paul, a couple more before we let you go. I'm just curious, you know, is what's the transition been like for you now, being on the you know other side of the microphone? Yeah, it, you know it's been fun. I the the radio gig, uh, PJ Tour Radio. We got a great team, and and uh, you know from uh, there's just a great team of guys: uh, Doug Bell, uh, Dennis Paulson, Carnival, Fred Albers, Tom Wormy, uh, uh, Earl Forsey, the host is uh, the guy's. You know he <laughs> he's really good. Uh, our team behind the booth and and uh, Trex and Kelly, they're all great, and I and I I fully enjoy. Uh, uh, working with them and you know i only do it once a month or so once every five weeks and um but it's cool we got some former players you know on on the team and and we got some guys in in uh that have done sport radio for a long time and um it's a it's a blast and um you know i i started a business a couple of years ago and that's been interesting to to you know wake up i used to wake up every day i'd take the kids to school i'd go to the gym i'd go to the course i'd pick them up from school and and we'd hang out and there's no stress. That was like vacation. And uh, now owning a company and trying to figure out how to grow it and, um, you know, making payroll and all those things that you got to do as a business owner. It, it's a whole new world, man. I'm, I've, uh, it took, it took a long time for me to enter the, the big boy world. 
of uh, reality. But um, but I'm there, and and uh, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. And and I got another gig I'm I'm working with. It's a thing called Icon Golf, and uh, it's a really neat uh, invitation only membership to uh, to three clubs. Uh, out west and just a really cool thing so I've, there's a lot of i got some irons in the fire it's it's been uh it's been a fun uh a fun season of life here the last few years and and uh you know, my kids are 16 and 13 now and and uh they're growing up and and uh, i'm so thankful i get it i get to watch them grow you know that's the, the thing about playing professional sports um especially golf i mean golf season's so long and i was gone half the year thankfully i was home half the year but but being gone half the year, you know, I, I missed a bunch, and and uh, so I'm super grateful that that I get to see most of what they're doing now, whether it's volleyball or golf tournaments or um, other stuff. But I just like mostly be, being home. And before we let you go, Paul, you, you mentioned your own company, and, and and for people that aren't aware, Francis Edward is a uh, is a company that you started and uh, sells amazing exotic leather goods including some really cool belts and and nothing seems cooler on the pga tour right now than the belts that guys are wearing update us on on the company and uh if uh where where we can find more information about francis Edwards. yeah we uh so we sell mostly through golf shops um I, I probably need to get on some bases you know i know these guys they like to spend some cash and and uh at the uh they used to call it the uh the navy exchange there in port Wanini and uh, they sell a lot of really cool things, but I've never never tapped into that market. But uh, but we sell through pro shops around the country, and and uh, we just started selling uh, just some some of our inventory pieces. We don't carry a lot of inventory because most of what we do, Chris, is uh, is uh, custom. And right. uh, but when we have some some inventory on the wall, we're we're starting to sell that at uh, shopfrancisedward.com. Um, and our, on our normal website, which you can, you can't order from, you can just look around and look at all the colors and different photos is francisedward.com. Um, or our Facebook page is Francis Edward USA. Um, uh, I have probably more pictures on that of, of stuff coming in and out, you know, a lot of game day belts this time of year, you know, you've got uh, football players that, I mean, football fans, college football fans that love their teams. And so we're doing, you know, whether it's, LSU or TCU or uh, a and I just did a really cool A&M uh, belt, uh, alligator, glossy alligator, a little um, maroon and white and gray, and it's pretty cool. So we do a lot of that kind of stuff, and uh, it, it's been a fun uh, a fun ride. Ah, that's great. And again, FrancisEdward.com. You can find it online. And, Paul, how can our listeners also keep track of you and follow you over social media? Yeah, my Twitter is at Paul Stankowski, um, and uh, – and that's pretty much it. I don't, I don't, uh, I mean, our Facebook, you know, I have that Facebook page, but I, I tweet a bunch, uh, especially this time of year. Uh, I, I've got to be careful because <laughs> I'm a sports panicker and I get a little hard on my team sometimes, but, um, but uh, With yeah. You. So at Paul Stankowski. <laughs> <laughs> With you. The, the world ends on Sunday if the Steelers lose and I get, you know, fall apart when things don't go well and that sort of thing. I know you're a big Cowboys fan, so I'm sure it's been tough this season waiting for Romo and Des to come back and hopefully that, you know, someone that someone can take a snap at quarterback and not throw three interceptions and keep your boys alive until hopefully the cavalry comes at some point. Hey, the cavalry's coming, buddy. And I, I'm telling you, I, it, it's uh they're, they're going to the Super Bowl. I, people think I'm crazy. <laughs> they're going You're to crazy. the Super Bowl. Des is coming back. Tony's coming back. That offensive line is awesome. The defensive front is awesome. They are going to kick some butt 
when Tony comes back. And you know what? Castle did okay. He did okay. And, and uh, get Dez back in the mix. Give him a target to, to throw to. Um, this going to get good. It's going to be good. <laughs> All right. We'll find <laughs> out. Paul, thank you so much for taking time out of your morning to be a part of the show again this morning. It's always so much fun when I get the opportunity to spend some time with you. Hopefully uh, you'll come back soon and we'll be able to catch up. Hey, maybe maybe your fantasy football team comes back from the dead just like you Cowboys. I'd love to hear all about it. <laughs> I'd love Thanks for having me on, Chris. I appreciate it. All right. Take care, Paul. All the best to you and your family, my friend. That was Paul Stankowski. Uh, PGA Tour Pro, and you know, like I say, you can hear him now on uh, Sirius XM's PGA Golf Channel broadcasting, as he said, every you know once a month or so. Great stuff. Always a great time. Always great stories from Paul Stankowski. Look forward to the opportunity for, uh, to catch up with him again, hopefully again, real soon. All right, before we get to my next guest, Sean McKeel, let's hear a word from our friend and new partner, PGA Tour Pro Jim Estes, and the great folks over at the uh, Sloot Military Golf Association. The Salute Military Golf Association was created to provide rehabilitative golf experiences to the brave men and women who have been wounded while serving our country. Hi, I'm Jim Estes, PGA Golf Pro and co-founder of the Salute Military Golf Association. With my adaptive golf program, we've successfully helped thousands of soldiers in their recovery, both mentally and physically. The SMGA has been providing family-inclusive golf experiences across the country since 2007. To date, the SMGA has equipped more than 1,000 warriors with properly fitted golf clubs and has extended its clinic series to more than eight chapter and affiliate locations across the U.S. If you are a wounded veteran interested in participating, or if you'd like to learn more about the Salute Military Golf Association and find a chapter closest to you, visit our website at smga.org. We've seen firsthand how impactful golf can be in aiding one's recovery. The Salute Military Golf Association, empowering wounded veterans one fairway at a time. Visit smga.org. That's smga.org. You're listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Heard around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. All right, now back with me to answer more of your questions on the Seymour Putters guest line is our friend and 2003 PGA champion, Sean McKeel. Hey, Sean, how are you this morning, my friend? I'm great, Chris. How are you doing this morning? Uh, I'm really well, thank you. Sean... I want to start our time today, you know, making sure, first of all, that our audience has a better picture of your overall playing playing record. And we talked a little bit about this in the past last week and, and uh, off the air. But over the course of your career on the PGA Tour, you've had 20 top 10 finishes, 57 top 25s. And, and from 2002 until 2007, you had a first, a second, and a third place finish. You had 14 top 10s and 41 top 25. So you were one of the best players on tour for five straight seasons. And you had a nice comeback in 2010. You had three more top 10s and five more top 25s, earned over a million dollars that season. So, Sean, a a pretty solid run for the better part of the decade of the 2000s. But for some reason, that seems to get lost. Why? Oh, I don't know. Um you know what's interesting? I you know I saw your your text the other day or, or the Facebook message, and it kind of gave me an opportunity to kind of think back to my career. And really, I think the way I play, the style of golf that I played, um, maybe wasn't aggressive enough. I mean, I, I I think my whole goal when I got into the PJ Tour, uh, you know, it's the first couple of years was kind of just learning the ropes and and getting comfortable and everything. But when I went back to college and I started thinking about this. 
um, you know, at the start of my junior year, we had to start keeping statistics. And there was a company, you know, for some reason I'm thinking they're in Ohio, but that really doesn't matter. Um, you know, and there was the, the, the typical things like fairways hit, greens hit, um, you know, left, right, short, long, bunkers. I mean, there's a, there was a, a whole whole list of things. <clears throat> and so I really paid attention to the statistics. And the one thing that really stood out to me in the way that I played golf was the greens and regulation stat. And I, I kind of learned pretty quickly that, hey, you know what, if I hit a lot of greens, I mean, my rounds are pretty easy. Um, I'm not having to worry too much, um, you know, about getting the ball up and down. And, of course, you still have to do those types of things. But uh, it, it basically kept me really from firing at a lot of pins, uh, a, lot of, a lot of tough pins. And not that the college courses are, uh, you know, that really that challenging. But that type of thinking, um, the conservative play into the greens, I think it carried over into my PJ Tour career. And so I always looked for – uh, trying to be a more consistent golfer. And and I felt like that was the one way that I could do that because I always hit the ball pretty well off the tee. And I just managed myself into the greens. And so I think that kind of led me down the path of just too, being too conservative of a player. And then when I needed to, to kind of turn it on, it was maybe difficult to do. And so, you know, there's one year I think it, it could have been 01, 02, 03, something like that, where I was fourth in greens but 106. 61 in putting or something like that. Tiger Woods was first in greens and 162 in putting, so we were kind of right there neck and neck. So, um, you know, there were some good times for sure. But, but um, you know, after seeing what you posted out there, that I started thinking about it, and it, it kind of led me down that path that, that maybe I played a little bit too conservatively um, in order to try to win tournaments. And um, But – it's a stat that I still think about it, it, when I talk to, to, to college players. Um, you know, I mention, I kind of mention those types of things to keep stats and to really focus on that stat because I think it's important. You know, putting is always going to be there. You always need to make putts. But, but I think to make your rounds easy, I think the greens and regulation stat is, uh, is, is way up there. So to that end, as, as you sort of look forward to you know your, your time uh, on the Champions Tour, well, that it sort of gives you an opportunity to you know rewrite things a little bit um, on that tour. Will you do things differently? Um, I, I don't know. <clears throat> you know, what's interesting is uh, a good friend of mine, Todd Hamilton, and Paul's, of course. Uh, I enjoyed listening to Paul. He's he's a, he's a great great character. Um, you know, Todd's having his first week out there this week, and uh, I think shot five under yesterday. So I know how excited he was, um, you know, being out there in the golf courses. Um, just just watched them on TV. I did go to an event, so they they're maybe set up a little bit differently. They're um, they're not, they're not easy courses by any stretch of the imagination, but um, maybe a little bit shorter. So I have to kind of wait and see, you know, just really how. Um, you know, hopefully my body will continue to uh, hang in there with me. And, and it's all, you know, of course, again, it's all about distance. You see the longer guys out there, you know, accuracy um, is always, uh, you know, important. But I think for the guys that hit it the longest, I mean, like Scott McCarron hits it long and, and um, he's finding his way out there. Todd hits it long. I think I was looking at stats last night for the Toshiba this week. The average driving distance yesterday was like 272 and Todd was at 294. So he's taking advantage of, um, you know, his size. I mean, Todd's 6'2", and he hits it, 
it's a nice long flat ball. So it'll be interesting to see for me really how the golf courses change and and how you know kind of my distance. Hopefully it'll stay up there um, you know pretty high and um, you know. But you know as far as the strategy of playing the golf course, I don't I don't know. I mean I think it just depends on um, you know I guess the state of my game for sure, and then and then you know I guess the setup and I, and that's really. Look, every week is different. I mean, you go to some courses where you go to Vegas or you go to the Palm Springs course, you know, where they have the Bob Hope, and you know that you got to make a lot of birdies. Your mindset's a little bit different, and that's one of the challenging pieces of golf is, uh, you know, you wake up one day and, and you get a great weather forecast and you see birdies are, are, are able to be made, and then so you get this mindset that there's a lot of birdies, and you wake up the next morning and it's windy and you don't have that. So it's constantly changing, but... Overall, my general philosophy has been to to try to um, you know manage myself into the greens. And with today's technology, it's difficult to really curve the ball, which makes it even more difficult for me because it's I've I've always liked to kind of shape the ball a little bit, and it's just it's been difficult to do. So, and I can't I can't mentally wrap myself around you know just hitting the ball straight and aiming at a left pin or aiming at a right pin and. Uh, uh, because I still have this mindset of the ball curving, and the way that I needed to get into the to attack the pins was to move the ball from the center of the green to the left or right, and um, I, I can't do that anymore because it just it just don't curve. The more I try to curve the ball, it just seems like the worst I hit it. So I I just I guess now everything's just pretty much a straight ball, which I which I don't like because I don't see that. I I learned from Mike Shannon in my putting, you know, down at Sea Island that I see curves. I'm a nonlinear kind of putter, and um, so I, I see things in curves, um, yeah, which is, I guess, interesting. But, uh, yeah, it is. Of course, the show, I guess. But Mike, Mike's really good, and he really tuned me on to that. And he said, that's why you like to see, uh, it's why you like to work the ball, because you just, you don't see straight. And, um, and for the amateurs out there that are playing golf, I mean, it's pretty easy to learn you know what type of putter you are uh, by just going on the putting green and trying to see the little drills out um and um you know so it's been pretty interesting for me so i i kind of just a little bit a little bit odd in certain things but um some guys see straight and some guys don't hmm. and and sean it's it's sort of ironic uh, i guess but you know last week i asked you if in today's world of social media has anyone ever said something not so nice to you and then unfortunately two days later i see someone on social media a media member no less saying yeah. something not so nice do, do you try to understand why people post negative things or you just ignore that sort of thing well you know as i said to you i i um uh, i i i think I think you got to have thick skin in this life. Uh, I don't really care what you do. And um, when you, I, I, since I've been home a lot and when I'm practicing, I listen to a lot of ESPN radio with uh, Rosillo and Canal and those. I really enjoy their show. And I, when you listen to to anybody, there's a lot of negativity being thrown around with the NFL quarterbacks and all this stuff. And it just gets kind of filtered down. Um, but but the one thing that really really kind of frustrates me with is the people that the comments that they make um, are come from uh, well, well first of all I, I did mention someone last week by name and and I think I did that because um, this person is a is a notable writer um, but yet the people that want to, the people like that that are apparently very knowledgeable of the game they have never taken the time to reach out to me to to ask me my thoughts on my win and whether I not whether or not I I thought 
that my career or that or that the year that I had in 03 or even my victory was a deserving one. And um, so they make these comments without ever, you know, I might even have the same opinion that they may have. But they don't know me. They they don't understand the game. They've never played at a high level. The people that it just it, it doesn't matter what sport it is. You have people that know the game. Okay, it's pretty easy to understand that when you're playing golf, you got to get the ball into the hole in the least amount of strokes. I mean that doesn't take too too much thought to figure that out. But there's a lot of things that are involved with um, with with that whole process and. Some of those people, and really all of the people, I've never seen one person, I've not seen one comment from a player, someone that's ever played the game um, at at any level, collegiate or or above, make any negative comment really about anything that I've done. Um, So I think that speaks volumes. I think that Mm -hmm. when when you have somebody that's outside the ropes, it's so easy to make comments and to, to look down a list you know, look at the money list. You can pull up my career, go to players on PJTour.com, and you can you can you can look and see how many tournaments I've played, how many cuts I've made, how much career money I've made. And right. then you know, and, and people do that. And I, it's not look. I don't think it's it's uh, it's just not smart, particularly people in the media. I mean, um, but those things frustrate me. Yes, and um, you know, this this particular person in Vegas is you know. Um, you know, I did look up look up this person's name, and um, you know, I, I don't know how many how many golf radio shows there there are or there ever have been, but I can tell you there were a lot more players that I've competed against. Um, you know that that uh, I've had to kind of go up against. Um, I you know he's won a, he's won several awards, I guess, and um, but. The comments, I guess, when you don't play at a high level, you, it's, it's hard to, to understand and appreciate some of the things that people say. But um, I think, to your point, I, I think it is important to uh, uh, to kind of dismiss a lot of this stuff um, because, you know, typically, you know, I've been one to not really kind of defend myself a little bit, but I'm certainly, uh, I think that's changed a little bit just because I'm kind of just tired of it, um, and. You know, I, I try not to respond too much on social media. I kind of just block people right away. If I see anything negative out there, I just hit block. I don't, I don't really do anything else, and um, I don't really care what somebody else has to say. I mean, we all have things in our career that have been great. We all have a lot of disappointments. There's a lot of regret. There's a lot of things out there, um, but I don't have an opportunity to peek inside some of these, you know, people's world. Whereas everything that I do or Paul Stankowski does or Tiger or anybody else that's played the PJ Tour, there's no escape. It's it's um it's it's access twenty four seven. It's just right there in your face. And um people form opinions based on a lot of a lot of reasons. Um and uh, some of them are justified and some of them aren't. So uh it, it is it has been frustrating, but um been a lot of guys that have played the PJ Tour. A lot of guys will have a lot more success than I have had, and I'll have a lot of lot more success than other people. And I guess I just have to right. kind of leave it at that. And and to your earlier point, Sean, as you know, you and I have talked here on the show, and 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 uh, some of the research, you know, when I look at you know things that have happened over the course of your career, you struggled at 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 a time following the 2003 PGA championship, right? As, as successful as you were. And I, and I, and I often think you're too hard on yourself and don't give yourself enough yeah, credit for yeah. all the things you accomplished, but you struggled 
having had that having had won that major and what yeah. you know maybe i should have won more and maybe maybe i trade that win for five or six other wins on tour right yeah oh sure you know um i, I think we've talked about this before in the 2002 bc open i had a three shot league on the last day and uh actually played okay really and i got down to sunday and, and on the 17 I'd, I'd hit it over the green and Missed about a five-footer for bogey, and so now I'm one back. So i got to try to birdie 18, which I bogeyed. So because like, oh, this guy fell apart. He bogeyed the last two holes to lose. But, you know, it was it was one of those tournaments that I probably should have won just based on the way that I played the prior three days. So it never should have come down the last two holes. So that, that was certainly a disappointment. But it was really um, my first real taste of an opportunity to win as far as leading an event. Um, but as Paul said, you know, when he, he didn't play very well, was it 96 or 97? And I remember that it must have been 96 because I, I remember playing in that tournament Lafayette. And, uh, you know, that was my, I think that was my first year on the Nike tour. And uh, I played the tour in 1994. But um, anyway, so I remember, I remember that. And uh, he, he said that, what did he say, that everything was going, was going so fast that he just didn't have, really have time right. to think or process what happened to him. And so the same thing really was, uh, was happened to me. Um, you know, as I said about my stats, I really enjoyed and, and tried to be a, a consistent player. That was my goal was for longevity. And and also, that's how I wanted to make my living. And I think people lose sight of the fact that, um, you know, that's how when you're playing the PJ Tour, that's your job. You don't have any side job, you know, jobs. You're not working in a bar at night or, or anything else like that. So that's how you pay your mortgage. That's how you pay your kid's school or whatever, whatever it is you, you, know, you choose to spend your money on. And... Um, you know, so my whole focus was to, to to be on tour, to stay on tour, and to build into uh, an opportunity to win tournaments, um, to get into majors, and to win majors. And um, I played in the 1999 U.S. Open, was my first major at Pinehurst, and then I played in the 2001 U.S. Open at um, at Southern Hills in Tulsa. So up to that point, I'd, I'd only competed in in two major championships, and Lo and behold, I, I I was playing some great golf. I spent um, some quality time with my golf coach in college um, about two weeks prior to the win, and and I, you know I knocked it off and, and played played extremely well. Um, certainly no fluke, and as I said last week, um, you know for those you know that, that kind of take away or want to take away from from what I accomplished in '03, um, you know nobody nobody pulled the ping pong ball out of out of the hat and, uh, you know, and, and call my name out. It, w- it wasn't like that at all. The, the things that I did, you know, were pretty, pretty special and, and, uh, right. very nerve wracking. I remember how, just how nervous I was, but I also remember how confident I was in what I was doing. So it was probably my time to win a tournament. I mean, I, it, there was no doubt that I, I played, you know, 94, 97, not great. Uh, I was just a nervous cat out there, but in 2000, I got my car back in 2000 off the Nike tour so it was my it was my time. I put in the time, I put in the work, and it was just my time to win a tournament. And it just happened to be that one. Well, mm-hmm. like Paul said, I didn't have time to process any of that stuff. There were a lot of things happening at a, at a very uh, quick pace. Three months after my win, my son Dade was born, and you know, as you know, I mean, those things change your life. Now, my professional life was changed by the win. Um, I I quickly realized. Uh, just what kind of a hornet's nest I'd stepped on because I, 
I was being asked to do a lot of things, and I hadn't had a whole lot of time to really think about what my plan was going forward. And I think that's one thing I missed, is, is messed up on, is I didn't have a plan going forward. I was just going week by week. You know, my current, the manager I had at the time, he was ill-prepared for what had happened to me. Um, you know, so there were a lot of things that uh, were going on in my life that uh, I just – I don't know, maybe I wish I would have spent a little time or spent any time with either Dr. Rotella or somebody that could could help me to process what had happened to me, the negativity that I was seeing. It it was pretty early on, um, really in 2004, I think I started seeing some of the negativity about my win. And, of course, I had a long time um, between the PGA and the next next calendar year schedule. Um, So I was a... I was a major champion for till that next April uh, before they started really talking about anybody else, which that person was Tiger Woods. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it just it was it was a very difficult time, it's, and it's been more emotional I think for me the last couple of years because I've bought into some of the negativity I think that I've read, and and uh, I certainly uh, and going back to your question, I certainly understand people not. Uh, you know, maybe giving me a lot of credit, but I don't think they really understand what it takes um, to win a major championship. Now, look, I finished second in 06. In 04, I think I was in the top top 10, uh, top 15 at least, of all of the majors going into Sunday, and I didn't have great Sundays. I think maybe I was just trying too hard. Um, but maybe the Masters, I wasn't in the top 10, but but uh, the other ones I was. And, and so... Um, it's just been a very it's been a very difficult road, and you know my me trying to get back. You know I got injured in '07, um, the, the spring of '07. I was I hurt my shoulder. I went and saw a doctor in '07, misdiagnosed, and it was come to '08. So there were a lot of really bad things that uh, really affected the kind of the downward spiral of my a uh, good part of my golfing career. And those are things that are that I can't control. I couldn't control. Um, I just, you know, there are parts of me now that wish I would just retire a year or two after I, after I won and didn't have to deal with all this stuff. But there really have been so many more great moments that that uh, that I need to focus on. Um, it's it's right. funny. It's like when you when you you go out, you make you know seven or eight you know you seven or eight birdies and you bogey the 18th hole. What you always seem to remember that, and I don't know why the mind does that. I think you really need to. To uh, not, and not everybody does that. I mean, the the, the great players, the players that are um, they're at the top of their game, and you know, Tiger, they just they just don't they just don't do those types of things. And and so there's always there's always those things that hold uh, the majority of us back from really achieving great things for a long time. And 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 maybe my mind just wasn't wasn't good enough or hasn't been good enough. And if it, and, and that's okay. Um, but there are things that I wish I would have done differently um, after 2003, and probably seeing some sort of sports psychologist might might have been one of them. Um, you know, just to kind of help me process, you know, what had happened, and and to have a plan going forward in how I needed to work, um, and all that. Because I, again, I, I loved it being a major championship. I really did, and I, I and I do to this day. But I also wish that I would have won a few more tournaments um, leading up to it to kind of get me to where I really felt like I, as I mentioned last week, felt like I was really a member of that club. 
um, yeah. you know, that that proverbial club. And and uh, it, it just didn't, it didn't happen that way. And uh, so I I kind of live my life and. Um, every day I go into my office, I see that PGA trophy sitting there, and it kind of gives me a little pause go. for for a smile. And and uh, for all the critics out there, I just like to invite them to my house and have them come into my office and and take a look at it. And uh, because yeah. that's probably as, as close that's as close as they'll ever get to one. <laughs> there you go. And, and Paul, as you talked about, I mean, Sean, as you've talked about the 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 BC Open, if things had turned out differently, and you had won that BC Open. Is that the key? Would that would that have changed everything because you won there and then you won the PGA and, and it, it just seems like an odd you know an odd sort of thing, right? To think about think back on the the career and, and like I say, I think you're way too hard on yourself because I think you achieved yeah. so much more than you know 99.9 percent of us that are out there you know weekend hackers that we'll ever get to do. But if you had won that, it's odd to think that that would have been not the major championship, but a BC Open might have you know, been a thing to change, uh, at least perception at this point. Well, clearly, um, you know, you can't, you can't look back and, and wonder, you know, if I won that tournament, maybe I wouldn't have won anything else either. I mean, it's hard to say, but I do remember in an interview that I gave at the PGA, I mean, it was, it was actually, it was after the PGA, it was, it was that night after I was doing some media stuff. I basically just figured out that the reason that I was able to handle, um, you know, the pressure on Friday, leading Friday night and Saturday night was because I was so sick of losing because all the other times that I'd been in contention, I was so nervous the next day on what was going to happen out there that I, um, you know, yeah. that I, I didn't handle it well. I was worried about, okay, how am I going to play? I mean, I was just really, I've always just been kind of that, that, that way. And I was so sick of losing that I had learned so much, I think from my experiences that I was just going to go out there and play golf. Now I was nervous, but I, it might have been the first time in my in my life in my golfing career that Sunday at Oak Hill that I realized that everybody else was nervous too. Now maybe the guys that were five or six shots back weren't that nervous, but um, you know I can tell you when you're tied for the lead going into Sunday a major championship ring event, it's um, it's a difficult experience. Um, in the, so I, I think I just was maybe so tired of losing that my experience of losing the BC and kind of giving it away. Um, Maybe just maybe help me a little bit, and uh, yeah. you know people say it all the time. You know, you learn a lot more from losing than you do from winning. And I just do, do recall very vividly that you know one of the first questions that I'd answered was about how I was able to handle um, you know the pressure that I felt with never winning a PJ Tour event. And my answer was basically, I was just so sick of losing that I it was just my time, and that's the way I look at it. Um, so and that's great. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it really was. I mean, I I, I learned a lot, and um, yeah, you know, I didn't know what was gonna what lie to you know lay ahead of uh, you know for me and everything else. So I was just kind of taking everything day by day and and week by week after the PGA. But um, you know, for the for, for prior to all that, you know, it was just about keeping my card. You know, I was looking at some stats the other day, and and um, just just to show how much the money had changed. I think in two thousand, made about four hundred fifty thousand dollars, and I was in the top one twenty five. So. It's really changed. I mean, now it takes you know it takes nine hundred thousand to do that. So it's great yeah. for the tour and great for the guys that are out there trying to make a living at it. And uh, uh, you know, I'm certainly working my tail off to try to get another opportunity. And um, so, yeah, but, but the great, you know, I, I take away a lot of things from the PGA. And Sean, we got we got a couple of questions this week. Actually, you know, for your wife, speaking about you know life changes. 
And the first question we got was, what was it like for your wife when she was suddenly now the wife of the 2003 PGA champion? Yeah, you know, Stephanie, I've known Stephanie since she was 11 years old. Um, I've known her, uh, uh, and so she's known me uh, as a as a as a high school golfer, or a collegiate golfer, and somebody that, that wanted to play professional golf. Um, you know, she's an attorney, so she's she's an extremely independent person, and um, she is working really hard. I remember, um, you know, and she got I guess she passed the bar in like 1996, and and so uh, she, uh, we were kind of dating at the time, and and so. She'd seen all the great things, uh, been a part of many of the great things about uh, kind of earning my stripes and and going to Asia and, and doing the things to try to figure out a way to get onto the PGA Tour. So she was very accustomed to the to the way of life, the travel, and uh, and being an independent woman. Uh, she didn't she didn't need me there. She she left me to to chase my dream, and it's something I'm very appreciative of. But. Um, having her there on Sunday and, um, you know, she, she was wearing a, uh, she was wearing, she was six months pregnant. It was about 95 degrees and, uh, she was wearing this kind of pink sleeveless blouse. And, uh, I'd said in an interview that I was going to do everything I could to try to find her, um, you know, on every shot to kind of bring me back to ground me a little bit. And, uh, I can tell you that that uh, when I kind of came into the last green, I tapped in, and she kind of walked down the hill off the left side of the green. And, uh, it just made all of our dreams, uh, you know, become reality because she had seen me through every level of my game from when I basically just started playing the high school golf and the collegiate golf, and it was uh, it was a great moment to be able to share with her. But um, she keeps me grounded. She's got a great perspective. She's extremely intelligent. Um, understands the game. She doesn't really play the game. She's played a couple times, but um, she's she's my number one supporter. And uh, and that I can tell you that uh, there've been a lot of marriages have failed because of you know lots of reasons certainly, but um, you got to have that support um, group at home that can understand that when you're not able to travel uh, with your husband. Um, it's okay that he's out there by himself. That that uh, and so that takes little takes a little bravery, a little honesty in the relationship. And and uh, and again, as I said earlier, that, that a lot of the people that all these negative things that people see uh, are, are, are right about golfers is that they just don't understand. It's a lonely existence. It really is. I um, you try to find a group of guys to play with, but Stephanie always had that trust and that faith in me. And uh, you know, I'm happy to I'm happy to have her. We've been uh, married a long time, and and uh, you know I love her and I appreciate her every day. And and Sean, getting back to um, one of your earlier points about you know you sort of sat on being a major champion for about six months or so until until the next year with with the Masters. And our, our next question is, you know, how much did your life change after you tapped in for birdie on eighteen at Oak Hill, and what were the next six months like for you? Yeah, it was a crazy time because that next week I, uh, you know, being a pilot, um, Glenn Day had, uh, he and a group of guys had some airplanes. And, uh, so, uh, uh, the pilot, um, had flown, flown his plane up, uh, to pick me up and I didn't realize. And, and now the Bridgestone, the world series of golf when I won was after the PGA, but I'd already planned on going home. I had to get Stephanie back 
and everything else. So I went home, but, uh, you know, I've been a lifelong KISS fan forever. And I, the next day I got home, I'm doing laundry, and I get a, I get a phone call from uh, the lead singer of KISS and uh, invite me to come up to uh, Columbus, Ohio, which was great because it was right next to where I was going in Akron. So I spent uh, – it, it quickly changed for me, and I think the notoriety and um, and, the, and and that. But, um, you know, I played I played in the Dunhill Lynx Championship was was uh, maybe six weeks after the PGA, and um, I was invited my father to come play as my partner and – um, right, which is at know, St. Andrews, right? Yeah, St. Andrews. It's a it's an event. Uh, it's it's kind of mirrored after Pebble Beach, where you know each player's got a partner, and you rotate around three courses. It was Kings Barn, St. Andrews, and and Carnoustie. So we spent ten days there, and it's one of the ten best days that I've ever spent with my father. It just was a thrill being a a major winner and um and 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 all that and um. But yeah, it was pretty crazy. Um, and again, you know, fortunately, the, the season uh, I had played a few tournaments beyond, uh, you know, beyond my win, and, and got played in Tigers event, and and uh, of course the Grand Slam of golf was was in Kauai that year, and uh, so I got to take take a lot of friends and family over to that. Um, so there were a lot of things kind of happening, but um, I wasn't really spending the time, spending any time really to to process what had happened to me mentally. I just was just kind of going with the flow, thinking that that was enough to sustain me. Um, and in reality, I needed to, I needed to go on and, and, uh, you know, kind of think about what had happened. I just didn't have time. Everything was happening so quickly. And, um, it was, like I said, it was really kind of a whirlwind. Um, and, uh, I just, I just didn't, didn't process it well, but it was an exciting time. And, you know, come that November 20th of 03 when my son was born, uh, that made my life easy, even crazier because now I'm trying to juggle um, helping Stephanie here. Fortunately, you know, um, you know her parents and, of course, my parents were here too um, to help out because I, I, you know, even not long after Dave was born, I, you know, I left to go to go play. And um, it was a tough time. It was a, it was a tough time for Stephanie and um, – but it was again it was just difficult trying to process being a major champion and winner on the PJ tour and uh being a father for the first time and um so there's a lot of there's a lot of things that just affected me and my stress level was way up so um <laughs> i kind of chuckle at it now but i realize just how how difficult life was for me um back then i know people would laugh at that and think oh you just won you know, a good amount of money. You got a lot, a lot more people. You know, calling you to come do things, and and those those are great. I mean, they they really are. Um, you know, but um, I still have to live with myself every day. I have to go back to my hotel room and I have to look myself in the mirror every single day and think: Am I being a great person? Am I am I saying yes to the right for the right reasons? Am I saying no for the right reasons? You know, um, how do I justify this win? I mean. Just, you know, how do I be a great dad and be a traveling parent? You know, there have been a lot of stories. You know, Lee Trevino is probably the one that sticks out in my mind. And he comes and he talks about it a lot, that he really didn't know his first family. And I can tell you, that was not going to be me. And so, uh, you know, golf is a very selfish game. And uh, I had treated it that way for a long, long time. And it wasn't until my mom, um, you know, her terminal illness uh, made me realize that it was okay to play for somebody else. 
and uh, I did that in 2010. And you mentioned the comeback year in 2010 earlier. Um, yeah. And my whole year in 2010 was really dedicated to her. But I, I it just was uh, it was an emotional time for me after 2003 that that six months. Uh, and uh, in some ways, I've struggled with that to this day. And uh, it's okay. I've learned. I've learned that it's okay. I'm, I have people like you, and they, they can pat me on the back. And and look, I I, I as I said, I, I see myself in the mirror every single day. And I understand that there's things that I wish I could do better. Wish I could have played better. Wish I was not gotten hurt. Uh, you know. Um, but you kind of you kind of play the play the hand that you're dealt, and and uh, try to be positive about it. And um, but. Uh, you know, it's it's been, it's been a crazy life. Yeah, I'm sure it has, and I, and I think that you know, and, I, and and thank you for sharing a lot of that, Sean, because I think that's some some things that you know folks need to to realize is you know what once that that putt drops, you know everything changes from that moment yeah. on, and and things are flying at you from left and right, and to to the point you just made. You know, there I'm sure there are lots of offers and people want you and all those sorts of things and you know, business ventures and your time and appearances and you know, which ones do you do and which ones do you not do and I'm sure that's all very difficult for someone who, you know, is you know, all of a sudden thrust in, into that situation. So uh it's it's a lot more than just picking up the trophy and, and standing there smiling, holding it and and the and the check deposit in your yeah. bank account. So thanks well, for exactly. sharing a lot I of mean, that Yeah, well, look, you know, it, it kind of goes back to some of the negativity, you know, I think that people say. And, as, again, I think if people would would come up to me and, and ask me, say, hey, Sean, you know, I've written some negative things, but is there a way that I could get to know you a little bit? I'm going to shake your hand, I'm going to look you in the eye, and I'm going to understand that maybe you don't think that I deserve to win, but I'm going to give you all the reasons as to why I did and to why that even I struggle with that. You know, because there's never been one thing that I've ever said. I've never said I've been great. I've never said I've been the best player. There's been, never been any reason for people to try to knock me down. And I think there are just people out there that, um, you know, enjoy uh, trying to, to bring out the negative side of things as opposed to focusing on the positive side. And the, mm-hmm. I guess that's just the rea- reality of things that we live in. I mean, you look today at the front page of, foxnews.com was, you know, a plane crash in Russia, you know. So um, those things are, are newsworthy and, and getter and, uh, and news getters and, and everything. But I, I, I uh, as I said last week, it, it, it's great for me to, to be able to share. Maybe I share too much, I think, uh, and maybe I've, I've focused too much on the negative side, um, you know, sometimes. But I'd like to give people a, a good perspective that, but hey, I I do think that I wish I, I do wish that there were things that were that were better that I was done things differently and um, you know but uh, I just I didn't know how to to kind of go about uh, what had happened to me and, and over the years I've aged uh, we all do this we all think back to to, to many moments in our lives and we wish, wish we had done things differently we're smarter mm-hmm. we we hope to be smarter so uh, always happy to share those types of things uh, you know I I. Uh, Love this great game. Uh, you know, Paul, I was listening to Paul a little bit, and I know he's he's on the other side right now. Looking, He'll be looking forward to the Champions Tour in a couple of years as well. I think he does a does a great job. I've actually thought about doing some stuff with the Golf Channel. Um, I haven't really pulled the trigger on it yet. Um, but, uh, you know, Paul's another example, and he gave, uh, you know, by him saying that he just didn't, he was not processing things correctly. And those are the types of same things 
that it happened to me. It just happened to be that my win was a major championship. And, uh, right. you know, I'm sure there are players out there that uh, how in the world did Sean McKeel win one of these things. I know, I know Rich Beam has felt that way. He t- told me that. So, so, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's just, uh, I think the historical sig- significance of my win, uh, just makes more of the detra- detractors kind of come out, but, uh, it's, uh, it's fun to talk about. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's move on to a, a couple more questions before we let you go, and, and and more on the positive side. And one of the other questions we got this week, Sean, and I'm and I'm very excited to tell you, we've been inundated with questions over about the last uh, week and a half with questions for you. Well, so good. people are listening, and 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 it's 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 been wonderful to to see. And, and you know, people are always. Uh, you know, talking about, you know, questions about your health and, and, and those sorts of things. And we talk about that a lot on yeah. the show and we'll, we'll probably address some of those uh, next week. We'll save some of that for then, but um, right. PGA tour champions, you know, PGA champions dinner. When you go every mm-hmm. year and you sit down with the, with those guys and you're, and you're having dinner, who's got the best stories? Oh gosh. Wow. Um, I, you know, I tell you what I sat with, uh, uh, each year, you know, I've, I've sat with different different players, you know, from Dow Finsterwald to Doug Ford, um, Tiger and his family. I mean, um, I enjoy the stories uh, from some of the from some of the older generation, um, and just really because how they can relate to the game of golf to today, to how yeah. it was back then. Um, those are funny. I mean, uh, I sat with Herb Kohler this year. Um, and we had a great conversation. And, you know, that's where I defended my title in 2004 was at Whistling Straits. So I got to know him a little bit back then. But I spent a lot of time with him and uh, and his wife and just really enjoy, um, you know, when you're around people like that that really um, are so positive and so upbeat. I mean, he really commands the room. And um, as I'll call it, you kind of get a listening, if that makes any sense. When you sit there with these people, you you listen and you kind of uh, try to process and and uh, you know what they're saying. And and uh, but you know, VJ VJ's been asked to speak uh, the last couple of years uh, on behalf, you know, the defending champion when they're they, you know they get up and they speak and talk all the great things about the PGA and maybe a little bit about their career and the golf course and and that um, they always invite two players to kind of come up and speak. Um, and VJ has been picked the last couple of years. And I think VJ is very misunderstood. Um, you know, he doesn't have a great rapport with the media and, and maybe not even with the fans, but I think it's his personality. I think he's kind of a shy person. I think there's been a lot of negativity that has been written about him. Look at Marshawn Lynch. I mean, look at the, there's been numbers of guys that, Maybe one thing has triggered their negativity with the media, but but VJ is such a great guy. He gives a lot of great stories. I mean, Phil Mickelson is is a, is a funny guy too. So it's a it's a unique mix um, of players. It's definitely something that I I take a lot of a joy, a lot of pride. Um, you know, my father's been with me. He's been my date. He was my date at, at Kiowa a couple of years ago, and for him to be there and see that, uh, you know, it's a you know, it's one of those places you just, you just can't buy a ticket to. And you come in and you take it all in. And fortunately, you know, over the last couple of years, I've, I've, I know all these guys very well. Um, you know, um, I enjoy, look, I look forward to that dinner every single year. And, um, 
it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to look around the room. It's it's a it's proud. It's a it's a uh, very prideful moment to to know that uh, then they're showing the videos um, of all the guys that have won uh, won the PGA Championship, um, how they won, um, and the response that you get from the officers. I think all of the officers are extremely proud um, of its champion. Um, so. There's a, there's a lot of great moments about the two two and a half hours that you get to spend with these guys. It's hard to single one out, but but uh, I do enjoy uh, listening to the older generation talk about golf, talk about the, the the travel experiences, the the golf courses that they played, the technology that they used. Uh, it's just it's just fascinating to me. And I'm not a golf historian, and I maybe wish I was a little bit more of that way. But uh, it, it's just a lot of fun to talk to guys. Uh, uh, like Dal Finsterwald, Doug Ford, Bobby Nichols, and uh, just just a it's a real treat. Last week you shared with us, you know, how Ernie Els will get rid of a ball after he makes a birdie because he thinks each ball only has one one birdie in it. So we got a a, a couple of questions around that, and uh, so generally, are, are there other things that you've seen or heard from tour players that they believe that sort of makes you go really? Oh gosh. Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, I don't really see so much in golf. You know, I, I alluded to some of the way that, you know, guys, uh, you know, marking their golf balls. And I've gotten into, you know, some heated discussions with my caddy. I'm basically, I mark the ball the same way I have for as long as I can remember. And, you know, I argue that it's just, just the way I do things. But um, I don't know. I mean, I can't really say that I can think of anything right offhand. Um, you know, that's obviously a little bit unusual. Um, uh-huh. You know, as far as you know, some guys, uh, you know, they don't they don't like head covers uh, at all. They hate head covers. I think Ricky Barnes, really? Ricky Barnes, doesn't like head covers on his clubs. <laughs> so he's walking down the fairway, clanking away. You know, uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, golly, I wish I had a little bit more time to prepare for that question because I mean, I think that's a really good one, and and. Uh, there's got to be something. I, I can't. I can't think uh, of it. Maybe maybe before the end of the show, I'll think of something. But ah, well, we're, it's we're, all right. we're a unique. We're we're a quirky bunch. Uh, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> as people have said, it's a traveling circus out there. There's 156 guys at the at, on the full field events. I mean, and not all of us get along. Uh, you know, there's things that happen. There's guys you enjoy playing with. There's guys you don't. So there's there's those typical types of things. But. Um, you know, we're just yeah, a unique build. group. We, yeah, you know. so let's build off that. When, when, and then let's not go down the negative side. But let's go down the positive side. Yeah. I mean, there, there are guys when you know when when you find out you're paired with them, you're like, oh, this is going to be a great round of golf. I tell you what, I I really enjoy I enjoy playing with just about everybody. Um, you know, there's there's people that are have been known to be slow, um, which I guess has never really never really bothered me if a player's that slow. I don't like waiting. Let's put it this way. I don't like waiting on the groups in front of me. I don't like when the day is slow. I don't yeah. necessarily – but the, the, when you get paired with a slow – and, look, I, I can be that way too. I think we all can, um, yep. you know. But uh, I think for, for the most part uh, – look, there are, there are times that, uh, you know, back when I was playing that, uh, you know, you look down the pairings, you're like, oh, man, i got to play in front of Tiger or i got to play with Tiger – because you knew that uh, the response, uh, just the the cheers and, and the crowd was going to be in 100% behind him. So, yeah, there were times where I did not want to be anywhere near Tiger, and it happened a few times, you know, where I got paired in front of him, when I got paired with him. 
and I was just nervous. I'm like, oh, great. My game's going to be scrutinized all day, and I'm, and I'm really not that great of a player, you know. So, um, that, I mean, that I would, I would, that stands out to me is uh, not wanting to be paired anywhere near Tiger. I know my wife was kind of the same way, like, because that affected her viewing experience, um, you know, and that it was so great for the game to have him. Now maybe that's kind of transitioned to, to, the, to the three young kids out there now. But, but yeah. um, that – that really stands out as far as when I looked at a pairing, I'm like, oh, great. I'm on Tiger Woods' side of the pairing or a draw. And that made issues for getting into the golf course, parking, you know, and all those things that are really ancillary to playing, playing golf like, that add <laughs> to the stress level of playing. Um, so that's yeah. the one thing that really stands out to me when I think about a pairing is, man, I really don't want to be paired with Tiger or near it. And I, but I enjoy playing with it. That's the funny thing. I, I enjoyed playing with him. I just hated all the other stuff that was around, um, that surrounded playing with him. If he and I just went out, when we'd done this a couple of times, we'd play practice around, you know, it was it was great. You know, like the match play we played one year, and it was a bad day, so nobody was really, there was no fans out there watching. So it was, a, it was a joy to play with him. But as far as playing with him in the tournament or in front of him in the tournament, it was a, it was crazy, and I, and I didn't enjoy it. So when you say it's a joy to play with him, is he fun to, you know, I mean, is there conversation going on or is it more, you know, being at, at the time, you know, in awe of his game and, and you know, and how he carried himself and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, certainly a lot of that. I mean, I, I enjoyed watching him. I enjoyed, you know, kind of listening to when he was working with Butch, um, you know, some of the things that, that they were really kind of talking about. Um you know, and yeah, he was a, he, he's a good guy. Um, I think it takes a little while, um, or maybe it takes a long time to kind of get into his inner circle. So I was never there and I, and I, I've been, so I've never been that type of relationship with him, but, um, you know, he's always great, great to me. Um, you know, uh, we did, we've played maybe half a dozen times together, so not a lot. But uh, I enjoy watching this game. I enjoy watching other games, even even when I'm playing in a tournament. If I feel like somebody looks like they're swinging great, or maybe I know they're working on something, um, you know, I'll kind of key in on that. And uh, uh, you know, like I said, even during a tournament. But but uh, Tiger's always gracious, always cordial, fun to be around. Um, you know, chit chatty. Um, but it was just, uh, you know, you get caught up in watching some of the things, the way you practiced. What types of shots? What is his equipment? What did he think about equipment? Um, you know, from ball technology to you know the way you know you design his clubs. I mean, just just a lot of little things like that that really interested me um, about playing with him. And um, it's been a long time since I played with him. It's probably you know I'm thinking the last time I played was the last time that I beat him in the match play in 2006. That's that's been a long long time. But there there may have been mm-hmm. a time since then, but um, you know, I, I, I never have gotten too enamored with a lot of, with anybody really in particular. Um, you know, certainly Jack Nicholas was one, um, I was with his management company when I first got on tour and to meet him in his office was pretty nerve wracking, but, um, you know, Tiger at the height of his game, uh, when we all reached it, realized that, that what he was doing was just not attainable for the rest of us, um, was truly just marvelous and, uh, exciting to be a part of. And so, uh, you know, forget about my career. Just the fact that I was in, a, in an era of a time that uh, this guy, arguably the best player in the world, and the things that he was doing on the golf course and the things that he was capable of, the shots that he was 
able to produce uh, under under pressure just just phenomenal and uh i just can't comprehend it and uh that's why he was so great mm-hmm. sean before we uh let you go this week remind our listeners one more time how can they uh stay up to date with the things that you're doing and how can they follow you over social media yeah well i'm at, at sean McKeel pga and uh you can just type me in same with linkedin and and facebook at sean McKeel. so um you know, I'm glad you're getting some questions, and uh, I'd certainly love to love to get some more direct questions to me. I enjoy it. I really do. I uh, I feel like that my game is um, maybe it hasn't been the greatest. It's been pretty good, but uh, there's been a lot of experiences I feel like I can share, um, you know, with other people. I enjoy it. I, I love helping young people out. I'm a volunteer assistant coach for the IUPUI Jaguar team, and uh, I enjoy helping the girls out up there. Um, so it's been... Uh, uh, as I kind of transition into maybe another part of my life, uh, yeah, I love helping people out. I love answering these questions. So I hope that people are, are genuinely interested and are, are getting something out of it and enjoying it, uh, more importantly. Absolutely, and I'm sure they are because, like I say, we're getting more and more of them. So it's great stuff. Sean, thank you so much uh, for, for joining me again this week. It's always a privilege to get uh, to spend this much time with you and uh, hearing more and more about what it uh, what life has been like for you and what it's like out on the tour and, and hearing your experience. So, so uh, thank you for being so willing to share them. Uh, I'm happy to do it, Chris. Thanks so much for having me on again. All right, Sean. We'll get, we'll catch up again. Hopefully, we'll see yep. how your schedule goes. If it's next week, that's great. But uh, we're all behind you as you uh, continue your uh, your golf journey. And uh, in the meantime, uh, all the best to you and your family. Look forward to the next opportunity. Yeah, that me too. Thank you as well, Chris. Thanks so much. All right, take care, Sean. Okay. That's 2003 PGA champion Sean McKeel. And again, folks, uh, as I, I can't say it enough, the guy had you know did so many great things over a, a you know the course of his career again let me let me remind you 20 top 10 finishes 57 top 25s and from 2002 to 2007 a first a second a third 14 top 10s and 41 top 25s so pretty solid uh one of the best golfers in the world certainly over that 5 year period so thanks to Sean for for joining me again today and uh, and sharing more of his insights All right, folks, time for me to put a bow on this episode. Before we close up shop, remind you again about the great book that our friend Dave Stockton Jr. and his father, uh, Dave Stockton, have out there called Own Your Game. Remember, folks, we talk about it so much on this show. You know, the game of golf is played, you know, largely in that five-inch space between our ears. So get your mind right. And this book, the Stocktons, lets you know how to play winning golf through your mind. Own Your Game recreates the experience of riding 18 holes with Mr. Stockton at one of his corporate outings and draws from his experience as a champion player, both on the regular tour, the the senior tour, and also as a revered coach. He shows you how to think better, stay calmer, execute more consistently, and most importantly, how to enjoy the game of golf more thoroughly. Go to StocktonGolf.com to get your copy. And for a few extra dollars, Mr. Stockton will even autograph it for you. And as well, the Stocktons have uh, started uh, a new partnership with a company called Back Nine Greens. For our listeners out in California, check out back9greens.com. If you're like me and you hate cutting grass, then, you know, they've got some great artificial surfaces, landscaping uh, that you can take a look at. Plus, they they, uh, have custom putting greens, which are absolutely amazing, folks. They have an unmatched passion for installing the highest quality artificial grass products, including synthetic grass lawns and synthetic putting surfaces as well. So check it out online. Again, back9greens.com. 
All right, folks, my sincere thanks once again to Paul Stankowski and Sean McKeel for joining me today and making the show so much fun for me to be a part of. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Please check out our sister show, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host Bob Lazari and our announcer Joe Lajanusa. That show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it on the Armed Forces Radio Network as well as on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, you can also find us all across the Internet on iHeartRadio, Spreaker, TuneIn, Stitcher, Player.fm, SoundCloud, Audioboom. So many great places to catch up with both uh, both of our shows. Uh, we're joined on Thursday Night Tailgate every week by legends and stars from around the NFL and the Canadian Football League as well. Please also check out both shows on Facebook that, and uh, give us a like. That's very important to us, too. You can find both shows online. This show, next on the T.net and ThursdayNightTailgate.com. Again, stream or download any of our archive episodes for free, folks, and keep up to date with who uh, some of our future guests are going to be. I thank you again for joining me and choosing to listen to this show. Uh, We know you have so many choices out there for shows and podcasts to listen to. We really appreciate that you've chosen to take a listen to this one. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the Tee with Christmas Carol, where PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors, and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Saturday to hear more stories about the game we love from the people who love sharing those stories with you. It's all about the great game of golf. It's all about the great game of golf. Adding the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. At participating Wendy's for a limited time, meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii. Great things are happening at your friendly neighborhood Safeway. Stop by and see all the things that make a supermarket just better. Like new low everyday prices on family favorites. Shop with your club card and pick up bananas for an incredible 48 cents a pound. And for an easy, delicious dinner, get whole roasted chicken for only $4.98. Bigger selections, friendlier smiles, lower prices. Safeway, it's just better. 